Go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 1. Do you guys like that new song? Yes. It's called... What do you think that song is called? I'll Go Anywhere. Yeah, it's called I'll Go Anywhere. Yeah. Funny. Huh? At the beginning? Oh, maybe. I don't know. But... While you're turning... Sorry. We're going to do the whole chapter. So... While you're turning to Jonah chapter 1, if you need a Bible, Corbin's got them. She can give them to you. If not, we've got a nice electronic Bible right up here on the screen. Which I'll take them. Okay. Um, we are going to be in Jonah chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I just want to tell you a quick story. Um, how many of you guys know what Sky Ranch is? Heck yeah, if you came to Fall Retreat, we went to Sky Ranch. It's awesome. So... There's this activity at Sky Ranch that we didn't get to do on Fall Retreat because um, it wasn't open. But when I worked at Sky Ranch as a counselor for them, we did this activity every week, and it's called the Power Pole. It's a giant telephone pole that's 30 feet in the air, and on the top, it's got a, a, pla- a plank of wood that's like this big, which looks kind of not small until you get up 30 feet in the air, and then it's tiny. Um, and the way it works is you strap in with a rope to your back and a big full-body harness, and you put a helmet on, and you climb up on the pole that's got like metal steps on it, all the way to the top. And then when you get up there, like kind of a ways away from you, but close enough that you could get it if you jumped, is a trapeze bar. And so you get up to the top of the, the pole, and you have to try and jump off and grab the trapeze bar. The first time I ever did that activity, I did it with boots on, and they were dancing boots, so they had wooden soles, and it was the stupidest idea of my life. I was like sliding, it was so terrifying. Also, when you get up on top of a telephone pole 30 feet in the air, it does not hold still. Um, it moves a little bit, and it's freaky. And so when I worked at Sky Ranch, I had boys who were going into sixth grade in my cabin. Okay? And I had them all summer, and I got to, like, see that there were trends, right? Because the way that Sky Ranch works is you get there as a counselor, and then you stay there all summer, and then new kids come every week. So you have new kids the whole summer. And we did it for 11 weeks straight. And so for 11 weeks, I got to watch all these sixth grade boys who either – either almost or really did pee themselves because they were so scared of the Powerball. Or they were like, I got this. I'm going to do this. I'm a macho man. I'm going to show you. But they're like this song. They're like, I'm a macho man. I'm going to show you. But they, uh, they had one or the, or the other. And what was funny was I noticed the group of kids that more often actually got to the top of the pole and jumped off were the kids who were about to pee themselves from the beginning and were honest about it. All the kids who, all the boys who were like, oh, I got this. Or, sorry. I got this. <laughs> I have one hair on my chin, not in. Um, they, yeah, sometimes not even. They were terrified. They'd get all strapped up. They'd get their harness on. They'd get their helmet on. They would get latched on, and then they would go climb on, which is what you have to say when you're climbing, and they would start to go and then just freeze. And I got one kid who got all the way to the top, and then he froze. And he was up there for 40 minutes. So we had to call the activities manager, and you know what they do when you're up there and you won't come down? They push you. They straight up push you off the pole. And I'm not even kidding, because it's actually safer for you. It sounds like it wouldn't be, but they do. They push you off the pole. And, yeah, they, if, if you try to climb back down, what's been happening the whole time as you climb up is that there's this guy who's got a rope and it's threaded through his harness like this so he can hold onto it like this and he like pulls all the slack out of the rope as you go up, right? Because the higher you get, 
the less tight the rope gets. So he makes it tighter and tighter so that if you fall, you don't drop. Like, you just fall a little bit, right? And, uh, and then he can lower you down safely. So this kid gets up there, and he's like, he's like sitting on the plank like this. And I think his name was like, like, like Dane or something like that. And I was like, Dane, are you okay? And he was just like, because <laughs> he was so afraid and he wouldn't come down. And so Tina got up there and she made him make a fist. Sorry, she made a fist, put his hands around her fists, um, put his feet on top of her feet, and then just went, and he <laughs> went off. And uh, he got lowered down and he was like, that was awesome. We're like, well, the activity's over. We gotta go to lunch now. Sorry. You wasted all your time standing up there at the top. But um, the reason I start there is because some of the boys actually trusted and they climbed to the top and they knew that that cable that was holding them could hold up a car and they knew that the person holding the rope at the ground was not going to let go they knew that all of the equipment was worth trusting and they did and they got to experience really cool things because of that right not every jump was perfect sometimes they slipped right off the plank and they just kind of hung there in the air until they got lowered down but they had fun because they trusted the rope the other group acted like they were going to trust the rope and had a miserable time, right? And I start there because we're in this series on the book of Jonah. If you don't know who Jonah is, real quick version of the story you may know or may have heard about a little bit is that Jonah was a prophet of God who God said, go to Nineveh, a really evil city who was probably going to conquer them eventually. And he said, go preach to them and save them or let me save them. And Jonah was like, mm, hard pass. And then he went literally in the opposite direction and got in a ship to go to the other side of the ocean. And while he was there, God sent a storm. So he's like, throw me in the water. So they go in the water and they throw him in the water. The, the storm stops. A whale comes and swallows Jonah. And he goes back to the beach in the belly of the whale, comes out, goes to Nineveh, preaches. They all get saved happily ever after. That's the version of the story most of us hear growing up. I like to call that the Veggie Tales version of the story. But that's not what happened. Exactly. Only some of that is true. Okay? It's darker than that, actually. And we talked last week about how there's this whole backstory that we may not have even known about, right? How Jonah had said that the king of Israel at the time was a really good guy, but he was actually a really terrible guy. And he had abused a lot of people and had a lot of injustice in his kingdom. And so they had to deal with the fact that they were, they were calling evil things good and good things evil. And so Amos, another prophet who was just a shepherd at the time, comes in and he's like, yeah, y'all are crazy. Y'all think God's okay with this, but he's not. And Amos was right because eventually, 40 years after the story of Jonah, Assyria comes in and takes out all of Israel, except Jerusalem and the few areas in the south. So he was right. God definitely said, the bill don't come due. You're going to have to pay. And so that's what we talked about last week, how Jonah ran from God because he didn't really know who God was. He thought he did, Right? He thought God was okay with all of these things, but he wasn't. So he ran when God showed up because he knew that God would be good and he didn't like it. He started calling good things bad. So tonight, we're going to look at the actual first part of the story that most of us tend to know about. Um, and then we're going to talk about it um, together after we read it. So we're going to read Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 through 16. We're going to read all but the very last verse of this chapter. And then we're going to pray and then we're going to break it down, okay? So... You should be in Jonah chapter 1. If you have a paper Bible with the orange triangle on the front, what page is it? Anybody know? Anybody got a paper Bible? 506. 506? Perfect. 506. Here we go. 
Page 506. If you're not there yet, it's up on the screen. Here we go. Yeah, there it is. I meant to give you that, guys, that slide earlier. Okay, here we go. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord. Also, pause. Every time you see the word of the Lord, or the Lord, I want you to insert Yahweh, God's name. Okay? The reason why I want you to do that is because in the original Hebrew that this was written in, that's how they would say, they would write his name. Like, the Lord. But his name is Yahweh. It actually said Yahweh, but they would say the Lord, because they didn't want to say his name. They felt like it was disrespectful. Not, but we're going to say it. So, the word of Yahweh, God of heaven and earth and everything, came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and, and he said this to Jonah, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, um, and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish, which is in Spain. So if you know your Mediterranean Ocean geography, it's the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, not ocean, sea. To Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The Hebrew right here, it actually means like the ship didn't threaten to break apart. It like pondered, should I break apart or not? It's like the ship is a character. Like It's like saying, like, hmm, should I, should I leave all of these sailors out in the ocean to die, or should I stay together? It's the ship that's doing that thinking. Isn't that funny? Anyways, um, the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors, not Jonah, the sailors, were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo um, into the sea to lighten the load. Uh, there we go. Meanwhile, uh, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. He's napping in the storm. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. So come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble that we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. That means they drew straws to figure out who it was. Yeah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, um, and where are you from? And he answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What is this you have done? Right? You worship the God of the ocean, and you're running from him on the ocean. And what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? What is this that you have done? Uh, what verse are we in? Ten? Okay. The men knew that he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them earlier. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, please Lord, or please Yahweh, don't let us perish. Don't let us die because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Will you all pray with me real quick? Father, would you speak to us through your word tonight and through this part of the story of Jonah? Would you help us see our need for you and why that's good um, and how we're going to be blessed by a relationship with you tonight, God? Would you speak to us? And guys, if you would, take a second and pray for yourself. Ask God to speak to you um, and ask him to show you something tonight.
And also, if you would, pray for me as well that God would use me and that I'd be helpful to you. Jesus, we love you. Please use this time we have together. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me give you where we're headed tonight, and then we're going to go there together. Okay? Here's where we're headed. This is number one blank on your handout. Write this down with me. Okay? The only way to be Christian is to trust God. That's it. There is no other way. This is where we're headed tonight, and I will show you through the story. The only way to be Christian is to trust God. While you're writing that down, here's some details that you need to know about this story. Okay? Did you notice which guy in the story is the representative of Yahweh God? Who represents him in this story? It's not a trick question. Jonah does, right? Jonah is supposed to represent God because who did the word of the Lord come to? Jonah. And yet, the guy who was supposed to be God's man was sleeping while others, especially people who were not followers of Yahweh, did you notice? They all prayed to their own gods. They're polytheists. They worship multiple gods. What that means is, Every family in a polytheistic culture would have a god that they would pay patronage to. So, and like, you guys know some of the Greek god names? Heard some of them before? So like in Greek culture, it would be like, this family worships Zeus. And this family worships, worships Aphrodite. And this family worships Poseidon. And this family worships Hephaestus and all these different gods, right? Apollo, all the different ones. Athena. Every family had their own one. So what this is saying here is from their gods, they weren't Greek. They were actually Phoenician, but that, we're going to come back to that in a minute. Or they're probably Phoenician. Um, every family would have a god they would worship, right? And so all these people are worshiping these gods. They're praying to these gods to get them to storm to get the storm to stop. And the man who was following the god of heavens of the heavens and the earth and the sea is sleeping, while these people who could know Yahweh and could have a relationship with Him are suffering. Not cool. Not good. These pagan polytheists had way more faith than the guy who. We're going to get really familiar with this phrase tonight. Then the guy who grew up Christian. Anybody able to say, oh yeah, I grew up Christian. I grew up in a Christian home, right? I grew up as a Christian, more or less. I've been a Christian since I was born, right? Anybody? Okay. The pagan polytheists had way more faith and trust in God than the guy who grew up Christian. Here's the number one thing. This is why this is where we're going. All that was necessary for all of them in order for peace to come would be to trust God, right? If Jonah had just trusted God, the storm never would have happened. The thing is, the why behind what we do will tell us whether or not we are really trusting God. So why do you go to church? Oh, because my mom and dad make me. Cool, then you don't come to church because you trust God. Why do you read my Bible? Because time makes me feel guilty when I don't. No, that means you're not trusting God and why you read your Bible. Why do you pray? Uh, because I'm supposed to. That doesn't mean that you're, sorry, that you're trusting God with your prayer. The why behind it will show it to you. So, we say the only way to be Christian is to trust God. I didn't say it first, though. This story did. So let me show you who said it first. Look at this. There's proof all over these verses that Jonah did not trust God. And there's proof all over these verses that the sailors did trust God. So look in verse 3 with me. Okay? Verse 3. Jonah flees from God's presence. He gets up to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. To go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Are you going to be running away from somebody you trust? No, no not, not at all. How about this in verse 5? 
people are suffering, and what's Jonah doing? Jonah had gone out of the lowest part of the vessel and was in a deep sleep. He doesn't care. They're bailing stuff out. The cargo that they were carrying, that is probably the whole reason why they were in the ship in the first place, right? They're moving this cargo from one place to the other. They toss it. They're done. They're over it, right? They're suffering from this storm, and Jonah's sleeping. He doesn't trust God. He thinks he's fine. Everything's okay. Not a, not a problem. Look at this. In verse 9, he just regurgitates em- empty words. I want you to just look at how crazy this is with me. He answered them, I am a Hebrew. That means I'm Jewish. I'm part of God's chosen family. I'm part of the people that God said he loves the most, which is not actually true. But that's how they felt about it sometimes. I worship the Lord. Does he really? Doesn't look like it. The God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. There's only one thing that's actually true here, right? Because he says I'm a Hebrew. That's true. Why is he saying I'm a Hebrew? Because he's proud of himself, right? And we'll know that next week when we look at how he prays when he's in the belly of the fish. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. You do not worship the Lord, Jonah. No, you don't. You don't trust him. You're running away from him. The only really true thing is that God is the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. That is true. But he just regurgitates it to them, right? I know all the right religious answers. I will tell you everything you want me to hear to prove to you that I really am part of God's family. I know all the answers. Well, God never asked him to know all the answers. God asked him to go to Nineveh and trust him. Look at verse 10. He disrespects God's power and will. Because the way that this is worded in the original Hebrew, when they say, what have you done? The men knew that he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. It doesn't mean that he told them right then. It means back on the dock, before they ever left, he just kind of casually was like, oh yeah, I'm fleeing from Yahweh. I'm running away from Yahweh. And they were like, okay, because they didn't know who he was. Right? They didn't know who Yahweh was. They didn't worship him. So they're like, whatever. Think about that. If you are running from the God of the heavens and the earth, and your attitude about that is just, oh yeah, I'm running from God. Like, he's going to do anything. <laughs> do you really trust that God? No, absolutely not. And then look at this. In verse 12, this might be the biggest sign of them all. They asked him, what should we do to make this storm calm down? And he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. A lot of people think that this might be the moment where Jonah figures it out. And he's like, oh, I did something wrong. Just kill me. It'll stop at that point, And then it'll be over and God will figure something else out. It's way more likely that Jonah's like, you know, if I kill myself, I don't have to go to Nineveh. Because think about it. Think about how far. It's easy for us to just be like, what? But he's actually so far and deep into his disobedience that it kind of makes sense, right? You know people who have gone down a path that they've gone so far into making terrible mistakes and awful mistakes that suddenly just ending everything seems to make sense to them? Yeah. It makes sense to Jonah too. In his mind anyway, it's not the right thing to do by any means. It's so far from what God would want for Jonah. But Jonah's ready to be like, yeah, I'm done. I can't do this. I don't have to go to Nineveh if I do this. I'll just escape everything and all of the bad things will go away. So he sacrifices himself more or less, but in a selfish way. But then the sailors, they do trust God. Look at this. In verse 6, I want you to hold your Bible open if you've got it with you. Look at it this way so you can see this list. Jonah fled from God's presence. He slept on others' suffering. He spits out empty words. He disrespects God. And he possibly is attempting suicide in verse 12. And then verse 6 it proves to us 
that the sailors trust God a little bit more. Look at verse 6. It says, the captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call your gods. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. First of all, do you think that Jonah's God is considering them? Yes. 100%. All he's doing is trying to get them to pay attention, right? And to wake up through Jonah. He absolutely considers them. But he knows. This statement right here is the captain saying, we know we need help. We can't do this on our own. That's step number one, right? When we talk about receiving the gospel, receiving salvation, a relationship with Jesus, we say step one is what? Admit that you can't do this on your own, right? That you are a sinner. That's what they're doing in verse 6. Verse 10, they respect God's power and will big time, right? Because Jonah may have casually mentioned to them, yeah, I'm just running from Yahweh. But when they figure out that Yahweh is real and that Jonah's running from him, what do they respond with? Terror, right? They're like, oh, he's the most powerful God ever, and you're running from him. Why? Right? That shows a sign of respect and awe and honor to God. Verse 14, they are the first characters in the entire story to respond to Yahweh and pray to him. Did you know that? The first people to actually talk to God in the story of Jonah are pagan sailors who don't even worship him yet. But they're the first ones. Verse 14, they cry out to God and they say, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then in verses 14 and 15 together, they care for Jonah's well-being, don't they? They don't want to throw him into the ocean. They're like, listen, we don't know exactly who you are, Yahweh, but we can see from the storm that something legit is happening here. So if Jonah says to throw him into the sea, we're going to trust him. But if he's lying, don't hold it against us, God. Right? Because we don't want to just kill somebody innocently because he told us to. They care about Jonah and his well-being, which means they trust God, that God made Jonah in the image of God. And then in verse 16, they leave, they, they, they offer sacrifices to God, and then they vow to follow him. Exactly what Jonah did not do. The sailors had way more trust than God. And here's what's crazy about that. Jonah grew up surrounded by God's people. He grew up surrounded by um, all of the culture that comes with that. He was going to the temple every Saturday because they went on Saturdays instead of Sundays. He was reading his Old Testament because that's what he had. Really, he probably just had the first five books of the Old Testament and Psalms and Proverbs and a couple other things. But he was doing everything right according to what you're supposed to do if you're a follower of Jesus and like going to church and reading the Bible and all those kinds of things. But he missed it. He never, you clearly can see, he never chose to actually trust God on his own, did he? Doesn't really show up. And it led straight to suffering for him and everybody around him. So, oh yeah, there's the verses. I think, number two, when we don't trust God, it always leads to suffering for us and everyone around us. So I want you to think about your own life for a second. What has God told you to do? that you didn't do, and it hurt somebody. Can you think of a time like that? What has God told you not to do, and you did it, and it hurt somebody? Or it hurt you? This happens every day. The Bible calls it sin. It's not trusting God. Jonah's doing it all over over his story here. When we don't trust God, it leads to suffering for us, and for everyone around us. So why does it matter? 
Would you say middle school is a light and happy and joyful place? No. Would you say that middle school feels like you're in the middle of a boat that's pondering whether or not it should break up in the middle of a storm? And would you say that that storm is probably most likely caused because of the stupid decisions of the people in the boat? Yes. 100%. So do you identify with these sailors and with Jonah a little bit? I do from when I was in middle school and even now in life. Most of the problems that we experience in the world, if not every single one of them, are because we make mistakes and we sin as humans. This matters. We need to be trusting God and not just our own thoughts because middle school is dark. And being a follower of Jesus in the middle of a dark middle school can change everything. I want you to think really hard about one person. It doesn't have to be a middle schooler. Just one person that you know, who you know they get this. They follow Jesus with everything that they have, and you love to be around them. Do you know somebody that's like that? They may say some things that you don't like now and then that don't feel great, but you would do anything for them because you know they would do anything for you, right? That's who you can be in your school. And eighth graders, it doesn't get any easier. When you get to high school, it's all the problems that you have in middle school minus some of the regulation. Some of the rules scale back. You get a little bit more freedom. You're not confined to a building where you have to be stuck with people. You actually have the freedom to go drive your car, go do something else if you want, if your parents will let you. You get a little bit more freedom. And then you get to college, and you get all the freedom. And that's why colleges are known as such crazy, party, awful places. Because it's a bunch of middle schoolers who never learned, who get to college and are given all the freedom in the world. You ever spent a weekend at home without your parents? Oh, yeah. Yes. How many of you can jo- genuinely say that after that weekend, the house is in a better condition? You feel better? You ate better? You had such great responsibility than when your parents were around? No. Who says, yep, that's true? I want you to look. There are 48 people in this room, and look how many people raised their hand. One. It's Three-ish, maybe four. Right? Here's what that tells us. Here's what that tells me. Okay? Freedom is not necessarily what you need. Freedom to do what you want is not what you need. You need the ability to make the right choices while you have the freedom to do what you need. That's what you really need. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you can have that. You can have that ability to make the right choices and to show others around you what that looks like. Most of all... Middle school is dark because sin is leading people straight to a word that a lot of people don't like to use. But I'm going to say it tonight because it's a big deal, because it's going to be a huge deal next week. But if there are friends and family around you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible is clear. There is a place for people who don't want to follow Jesus. It's a place where there is no God, there is no good, there is no nothing, because that's what they chose. That place is called hell. That comes from a Hebrew word called, word called Gehenna. You know say Gehenna? Gehenna. Gehenna? It's the Valley of Hinnom is what that also comes from. Outside of Jerusalem, there was a valley that in the ancient days was their dump. But they didn't have big old dump trucks to take it 10 miles away from the city. It was right there. And Jesus would stand in front of the Valley of Hinnom and he would tell people, this is the closest example I've got to what hell is like. It was dirty. People in the olden days in Jerusalem would sacrifice their children there. Yeah. Babies. They would murder their little babies right there over this 
over this dump. It was awful. It was a terrible place. Scary place. And that's where we're all going if we don't want Jesus. Because the choices are clear. You want God, you get God. And you get everything that comes with him, which is all the good things that the world knows. James chapter 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. So, you want love? You want somebody to love you? You want joy? You want peace? Do you want to be able to be patient? Do you want to be kind? Do you want to be good? Do you want to be faithful to people and trustworthy? Do you want to be gentle and have self-control? You will never find any of those things anywhere else but in God. That's it. All of those things come from God. You don't want him? Those don't come with the option that you get if you don't want him. And middle school is dark. If we don't trust God, then none of that happens in middle school. And all of those people go to that place forever. It's awful. But that's why we talk about this. While we have these stories. Here's the deal. You and your friend's sin is leading you guys straight there if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. But followers of Jesus can change that. They can turn it completely around. Did you know that the reason Roman Catholics are a thing is because followers of Jesus way long time ago followed Jesus so faithfully and trusted him in the Roman Empire when the Roman Empire was very angry toward Christians and would hang them on poles after they soaked them in oil and used them as street lamps and light them on fire. The Roman Empire went from doing that to Christians to making everybody be Christian. Because followers of Jesus got into Caesar's house. The good news of Jesus got all the way to the emperor's house. And it changed things. Now, what they did with that freedom once they got it is a different story. It's a whole other thing. But that's how it started. You can change things. If you don't think that's true, later on, Jonah's going to go to Nineveh and he's going to use five words in Hebrew. And within one day, the whole city starts following God. In a foreign land, probably doesn't know their language, uses five words. That's it, five words. He just says, in Hebrew, he said, within 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed or overturned is the word that he uses. And within one day, Nineveh is overturned for God. And it reaches the king's house. So if Jonah could do it when he didn't even want to do it, you can too. And he actually didn't like it. Listen, if you think that you're a Christian just because your parents are or because you were born one, you need to check yourself. Are you acting just like everybody else around you in the darkness of your school? Or are you seriously trusting God in every decision that you make? The reality is middle school is dark, but it can be light if we are trusting God. We're going to look at some verses in a minute that that make more sense out of it, but here's the deal. People don't become Christians just because their parents are. Jonah's parents were followers of Yahweh. Jonah's entire country was a follower of Yahweh. And look how he treated the people around him who needed help. Look where they were headed. Just because your mom and dad are Christian doesn't mean that you are. You have to make that choice for yourself. You should never in your life think that it's okay to say, Oh, I've been a Christian since I was born. Oh, I grew up a Christian. You can't grow up a Christian. Little infant babies who only do three things. Eat, sleep, and poop. That's it. Yeah, crying happens all in there. For all of those reasons. They they can't figure that out. 
There comes a time when they can. It's different for everybody. But you can't just become a Christian because your parents are. It's not a thing. It doesn't happen. The sailors should have never had to ask Jonah where he was from. Did you notice they asked him where he was from? Do you know why they had to do that? Because he acted just like everybody else around them. He looked just like all the people around him. The sailors were probably from this area, Phoenicia. Because if they were in Judah or Israel, chances are they probably weren't polytheistic at the time. So if they were polytheistic, they left from Joppa, there's a good chance they were from up here in Phoenicia. And they definitely worshipped multiple gods in Phoenicia. So do you see how close this is? This is the capital of Israel at the time, Samaria. Not very far. This right here is about as 12 miles, 15, maybe 20. Like less than from here to Fort Worth is that distance right there. They would have known who Israel was, right? And if Jonah wasn't living in a way that they could just tell that he was a follower of Yahweh, that means he was acting like all the other people of the world, right? They should have never had to ask him. But he and his people wanted to be just like everybody else. So what was happening in Israel, and more importantly, what was happening in the hearts of the people of Israel was what was happening in all the countries around them. Hurt, pain, death, suffering, all the crazy things. I want you guys to turn with me for a second to Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Matthew chapter 23. And here's why we're turning there. When you spend your whole life trying to prove to everybody that you're doing things good and you're doing things well um, by going to church or by not cussing or by doing anything, make yourself a list of things that you can do to prove to people and to prove to God that you're a Christian. If that's how you're spending your life, Jesus has some words to say to you. He's talking to a group of people who, they were like this. They were followers of God who took the rules way too far and thought that following the rules and just being born as a Jewish person was what they needed to be in God's family. And this is what Jesus says to them in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. I want you guys to pass these around and look inside. These are mugs of mine that I've kept in my office for two weeks after I drank coffee in them and didn't clean them out. Just pass them around and look for a second. Okay? They're pretty spotless on the outside, right? They are dirty on the inside. And sometimes I've looked in there before and seen mold sitting on top of the coffee. It's great. Now let me just ask you something really quick. Let's say I filled that mug up with new coffee. I didn't clean it up. I just filled it up with new coffee. And I gave it to you. You couldn't see that there was a little bit on it. Now, Jax, or not Jax, Jacob, that one that you've got in your hand doesn't have a ton on the bottom, does it? This one does. Just a little bit, right? So what if I handed you the Space Jam mug and I said, here's some coffee for you. Oh, by the way, it's got some old coffee from like three weeks ago. just kind of stuck to the bottom, but it's just a little bit. It's not that much. You would still drink it? Yes, it's coffee. No, it's still not coffee. No, the reality is it would be bad for your body. Yeah. It would. And here's the point. Here's the point. Okay? What Jesus is saying is, saying I'm a Christian because I was born one. I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian because I pray. I'm a Christian because I sing worship songs sometimes. I'm a Christian because I read my Bible. I'm a Christian because I don't do nothing wrong. It's like cleaning up the outside of a cup but leaving the inside nasty. 
The whole point of a cup is for it to be filled up, right? So if you're not cleaning the inside, you're neglecting the whole purpose of what it was made for. Jesus is saying that this is what our lives are like. If we just tell everybody that we are followers of Jesus because we grew up as followers of Jesus, but we don't actually let him change our hearts on the inside by trusting him, that's who you are. That's what your heart is. Guys, this has impacted me big time. When I was in middle school, there was this guy I went to school with named Jared who was a really cool guy. He was fun and funny, but there were things about him that I did not like. I avoided him. I, uh, I really tried to stay away from him as much as I possibly could because I really thought he was going to end up getting me into really terrible things. There is a difference here between being best friends with people who you know are going to drag you down and always spending all your time with them. That's probably not healthy, but... We also shouldn't be ignoring those people altogether, right? And that's what I did. I thought he was not as good as me. So I just didn't want to reach out to him or interact with him at all. And his life stunk, you guys. His mom had been through four divorces by the time he was in eighth grade. Four. And the man that she was married to at the time, she is no longer married to. It's so hard to describe how difficult his life was at home, which explained a lot about why he did what he did and how he acted. And now he's in his 20s. He's a year older than me, and he has moved thousands of miles away so that he can get away from everything. His life is clearly dark and sad and not good. And I really feel like if I had just told him that there was a God who loved him, who was his father, who really cared about him, just one time, maybe that one time would have been enough to help him have the good, abundant, joyful life that Jesus has for us. But I'll never know. He actually did come to Dallas a couple, like about a year and a half ago. Um, and I saw that he was in Dallas and we met up at the, the Gaylord Resort because um, that's where his conference was, and we talked for like an hour or two, and it was really cool, but I had burned a lot of bridges. It was hard to talk to him about things about Jesus because he just didn't want to. It was hard. Um, we did get to, but it was way more difficult than it should have been. So, your next blank after this is what should we do? I want you to look at Romans 10.9 first. Okay? Romans 10.9 says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you notice how in this verse there's nothing about being raised in a Christian home? In order to be saved, you must be raised in a Christian home. Not true. No. It says, believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confess, which means agree, with your mouth that he is Lord. Lord means boss. A.K.A. I trust you, God. Right? Not my way. You believe and you agree that Jesus is all that you need. Do you know who did this in the story of Jonah in chapter 1? Sailors. The sailors did, right? Not Jesus yet because they didn't know him yet. But they trusted Yahweh, right? They believed that he was God and they believed that he had that power, right? And they confessed that he was the Lord of their life. I believe those sailors may be with us in heaven one day. There's not a lot of reason to believe why not, right? Or to believe not. Guys, 
Do you know what Jonah's dad's name means? Oh yeah, there it is. Believe and agree that Jesus is all we need is the next one. Jonah's dad's name is Amatai. Do you know what Amatai means? It means trustworthiness or truth or just trust. So here's what that means. Jonah is the son of trust. Wait, I love that. That was great. He literally was the son of trust. His dad's name meant trust and he still missed it. And we're going to see here in a minute or next week, he's going to be in the belly of a whale and he's Still not going to get it. It's so simple. Jonah, Jonah didn't trust God. That is what made the difference. Not that he was born as the son of trustworthiness, but that he didn't trust God. That's what made the difference. And here's why. Why do you need to believe and agree that Jesus is all that you need? Because you, if you haven't done this yet, you are headed straight for that place called hell where God is not there. And your friends and family, if they've never done this, they're headed there too. And all along the way, we're going to hurt each other and, and, and destroy the good community that God wants us to build together. People are dying. And those of us who grew up Christian are sleeping while they're up above us suffering. So we need to choose... Are we going to trust God when he says not to look at those things on our phone? Are we going to trust God when he says to pray for the people who make fun of us? It's really hard to be mad at the person that you're praying for. Really hard. Because you remember, they're not the enemy. The sin in them is. And Jesus already defeated that sin. Are we going to trust that that's true? Are we going to trust that we don't need to get back at that person for making fun of us or for hurting us? Are we going to trust that that person we're picking on and making fun of and getting a laugh out of was made in the image of God and is worthy and deserving of honor and respect? Or are we going to think that they're just trash and we can use them for whatever we want? We have to choose to trust him in every moment. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? There are people in this room who have never believed and agreed that Jesus is all that they need, and so I want to give them that opportunity. If you have never admitted what Jesus said in, in what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, believed in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, confessed with your mouth that he is Lord, but you would like to have that relationship with him with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just look at my eyes real fast? Okay. If that's you, come talk to me. After the service, don't leave this place without starting that relationship with him. Let's talk about it. I'll spend all night at Grand Adventure talking with you about it. If you have a relationship with Jesus, look at me. What do you need to do to trust him? What is it that he has said that you know you haven't trusted him in? Maybe you don't know what it is, so your thing would be to ask him to show it to you. Ask him to reveal it to you. So you know where you can start trusting him. Maybe it's just reading his word every day. There is a stack of, pa of packets out there. There's a 21-day reading plan in the Gospel of John. And there's now a 7-day reading plan in the book of Jonah. Take the Jonah one and just read this story for one week. And see if it doesn't change your life even a little bit. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to go to Grand Adventure, okay? Father, we are... We are grateful that you sent Jesus to die for us. 
that you rose him from the dead three days later and that we can, we can have that relationship with you, God. I pray for those in this room who don't, God, that you would help them to reach out and say something and, and ask questions so that they can receive that gift and start that relationship with you. And for those of us that do have one, God, I pray that you would help us see our need for you um, and just the reality that it's a good thing to, to, to be needy. Uh, I pray that you would help us trust you in those moments. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.